0: You're listening to Motor Mouth with Andrew McCready and David Booth.
1: Thanks for tuning in to the latest Motor Mouth podcast. We're back after the summer break and the two-month hiatus has David chomping at the bit to get a few things off his chest. My name is Andrew McCready and I am the host of the Motor Mouth podcast. Hello David and how was your summer?
0: Oh, it's been really great and it continues. The hot weather is fantastic. I just literally, uh, we, as you uh, might remember, I just delayed this by half an hour. That's because uh, I was on a long motorcycle ride from northern Quebec to here and uh, I decided to enjoy the sunshine for an extra half hour.
1: Life is good in David Booth's world. It is indeed. Okay, well, let's get started. we got a few topics to cover here. Um, you recently reported on a technical achievement of which you wrote, If there were such a thing as an engineering equivalent of TMZ or PerezHilton.com, it would have been the viral story of the year, if not the decade. What
0: is it and why was it so earth shattering? Uh, a company, um, a research firm, a very small one, and it turns out almost assuredly erroneously, claimed to have discovered a room temperature superconductor. Um, Why is that so great? Well, first off, a superconductor is something, or a metal or a conductor that would have absolutely no resistance. Um, uh, That would be an enormous breakthrough. Resistance is the enemy of all electric vehicles, of all electricity. Just for instance, um, when you're charging an electric car, the number one thing that stops it from um, uh, you from charging uh, a, an electric car as fast as you can refill a gas car is heat generated while you're plugged in. And all that heat is very much dependent on resistance. No resistance, no heat. Uh, we should be able to charge, uh, you know, I'd want to say instantaneously, but that would be ridiculous. But the fabled five or 10 minute charge would seem easy at that point in time. Now, where this got, you know, um, the TMZ and the Perez Hilton uh, comment came from was, we already have um, a few superconductors. What they are is like mercury is one, if you Uh, cool it down to, like, I've forgotten the numbers now, minus 473 Kelvin, okay? Like, it's like one degree above uh, electrons stop moving. And if you do that, um, there are other um, uh, chemicals that do it as well, but they're all way, way below any useful temperature that we could put into a machine. And so the concept that these South Koreans came up with was that, they had discovered something that could act like this superconductor did not have to be um, frozen. Like, you know, Mercury had to be literally frozen solid when it became a uh, a superconductor. And, and it, so it could be used in everyday material. And from what they described um, uh, the formulation, it was something that could be made quite easily it would even be cheap. So it'd be cheap, useful, and would absolutely completely revolutionize the electric world uh, for our intents and purposes. It would completely eliminate uh, 99.9% of the problems that uh, electric vehicles face. It, 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 you know, if it had been true, um, it would have been, like I said, uh, the most viral story in engineering for the last 50 to 100 years. So you say if it would be true, has it been disproven or is it not? 99.9% yes. Um, what it turns out is, and I, you know, with all these things, you wonder why somebody claimed something when they should have known better. Um, they, There was something about the fact that it was a very, very special magnet, type of magnet, and they could prove that it would hover uh, by its uh, all by its lonesome, and 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 in so doing, that's one of the characteristics of a superconductor. Which again, they only observe this when these other superconductors are 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 uh, frozen to un- unmentionable temperatures, and this one did it at um, room temperature. Right. So w- they showed that as a short video uh, as proof, and everybody was kind of excited. The, and again, remember I mentioned they could make the material quite easily. What, as it turned out, is maybe a little bit too easy for the people who were making the claims. Within about three or four days, uh, a number of laboratories laboratories had, uh, had uh, remade the same or a similar material, and there was no superconductivity. There was the strange magnetism, but there was no superconductivity, and like that. Now... That's not to say this discovery is completely wasted. Um, certainly, it's a direction towards superconductivity that nobody had gone down before. And so, you know, we're always on a quest. Physicists are always on a quest for this. And so, have they advanced the search for a superconductor? Almost assuredly. Um, do they have a superconductor? It looks almost assuredly no. So it, will this be
1: the only way that, you know, the, the superconductor concept or the superconductor battery will cool batteries? I mean, is that is that the only way? I mean, we're putting we're putting water through batteries. But I mean, is, is this is it as simple as that or are there other ways to skin a cat when it comes to cooling batteries? Not really.
0: Um, so we're not at, these things don't cool the battery. It's that they don't generate heat. Right. OK. okay. Um, right heat heat is during during the
1: charging process
0: during the charging process it's basically electricity i mean in god i'm gonna have some expert tell me i don't know anything about it but the the best the best um metaphor for electricity is water pressure and flow okay your pressure is the voltage your flow is the amperage an amperage when it flows through a wire and uh, there's resistance that's what causes heat? So, right. um, a, a little, a little technical stuff. Say you have um, 800 volts and 100 amps. Okay, um, that produces as much power as 400 volts and 200 amps. The power is uh, the voltage times the uh, the the current. So, if you have 800 volts and 100 amps flowing. Um, uh, and you have 400 volts of 200 amps, the 200 amps with 400 volts is going to produce a lot more heat than mm-hmm. in, uh, than the 800 volt 100 amp charger, which is why when uh, all these companies, uh, Porsche, for instance, claims, oh, we've made a breakthrough, we've got an 800 volt system, it's because with 800 volts, they only have to use, and I'm just using a number here, 100 amps to charge, which means they'll generate less heat. Um, the heat thing is is a huge discussion in here, uh, in, in charging. So, for instance, one of the reasons why Tesla superchargers, even though um, they're only running on 400 volts, work better than... Uh, some of the competitors is because the charging cables are actually quite short. And uh, uh, amongst other things that increases resistivity is the length of the cable. So you have a shorter cable, less resistance. Uh, you can pump more amps through it without uh, without generating uh, too much heat. So it's all about the amps. And the other thing I'll say is, because you started this conversation with cooling, all of the high-powered um Uh, DC fast chargers you know a 350 kilowatt charger has uh, the cable is cooled in some way usually by liquid and so and and that if we don't have a superconductor will actually be the limiting factor on how um how big a charger we can get Uh, I've always guessed the biggest we can get is 500 kilowatts um it may go a little bigger than that but the problem is is yeah, to get to that level of of power, you got to pump a lot of amps or raise the voltage to you know way above even eight hundred, and so you have to cool it. And if the cooling mechanism isn't effective, it simply doesn't work. I mean, we've had this discussion as well. Um, uh, you take a look at the tie can. The tie can is rated at three hundred and fifty kilowatts. It takes a peak of two seven two hundred and seventy kilowatts in in actual fact, but it only manages to sustain that for maybe twenty percent of its charging cycle after that it gets simply gets too hot and they have to reduce how much uh, how much um, how much amperage is delivered and and then so the charging rate goes down you know it 's all it's i'm 'm I'm, I'm probably exaggerating, but one of the main Uh, obstacles of charging, just charging. I'm not even talking about other stuff in the electric vehicle. Uh, One of the main obstacles of charging is the heat generated by the flow of current from the charger to the, to the battery inside the car. And that's
1: heat that's taking place inside the vehicle. That not so much the charger. Both. both. I mean, you're
0: heating the battery and you're heating the charging cable itself. Right. The charging cable is actually, I I, I don't know. You know what? I'd be talking through my hat completely to uh, to be saying that which one is, is more percentages um, or whatever, uh, which is the, which is the bigger problem. I do know because I researched the, for that, the article you're talking about that the, um, the cable is a huge part of the problem. There's, there's a number of videos online. Uh, I think I, I, I provided one um, that talk about cables and it's, Really, quite amazing how how difficult that process is, so again, going back to what we originally discussed, if that material worked as a superconductor, that would mean there'd be no resistance in that cable, okay, and it would generate no heat, so it could take a monumental amount of current now what whether now if you also had you know, superconductors and all the materials uh, in the battery, it would help as well. There might be something else down downstream that would prevent instantaneous charging. But certainly all the problems that are caused by heat in the charger itself uh, would be greatly diminished. And that would be a huge step forward. It would be just huge. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: huge. sort of the holy grail of the, the, the EV industry and probably most, Battery companies and charging companies, cooling is the number
0: one thing they're researching. Well, it is. In fact, um, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about this um, uh, after the break. But one of the conversations I had with um, Mate Rimac, um, the uh, inventor of the uh, and the producer of the Nevera uh, supercar, which is a 1,888 horsepower thing and um he's huge in batteries and he claims he can get an average of 300 kilowatts charging um for uh like through the cycle of his batteries 300 kilowatts i'd say that taycan which is the fastest charging averages i think 202 kilowatts between 10 10 and 80 percent state of charge and i was asking about it now obviously he didn't want to give away any trade secrets but I was focused on cooling and he was talking about reducing heat generation, which, again, obviously not with a superconductor, but that's what a superconductor is all about. Right. OK, getting- well, listen. why don't we before we get into that, let's take a break here
1: and yeah. um, and we'll be right back and we'll talk more about that. And we're back. All right, let's talk about two high-profile men in the automotive world, one of whom you've written extensively about and needs no introduction, and one who you recently interviewed and had the privileged opportunity of driving on a track, no less, his supercar. You alluded to him just, just earlier. Uh, let's start with him, Mate Rimac. Tell us about this adventure.
0: It was pretty interesting, you know. Um, I mean, it's, I think the most amazing thing about it is Croatia has absolutely no history of automaking. I mean, I'm sure somebody again will come up and say, well, this person makes these sensors for these cars. But <laughs> in terms of, 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 of total production of a car, there's no history of it. And he started um, less than 15, about 15 years ago by building an, an electric BMW, basically a 323 that he blew the motor on and he was using for drifting. Um, And he started putting electric motors in it. Uh, And the first one was out of a forklift. Okay. So that's uh, maybe 16 years ago. Okay. Uh, Now he's building a hundred thousand square meter camp, what he calls a campus that's going to produce the world's quickest supercar with 1,888 horsepower and 120 kilowatt battery. And he's been, Offered. I mean, they came to him. Uh, Volkswagen and Porsche groups came to him and said, "Could you take over Bugatti for us? The production of Bugatti cars for us. We want you to engineer the you know, the next uh, Bugatti Bugatti cars." Other companies are having him produce batteries uh, for them. He uh, part of the campus is all about producing batteries for um, subcontracted to other companies. He's not saying who a good bet would be Hyundai and Porsche, but no word uh, officially on that yet. And, and, and he's done this in a space of, you know, like I say, less than two decades, um, all the way from, you know, shoving a forklift motor in the front of a taddy old three, two, three. And, and in a country where there's n- no infrastructure for such a thing. So how I, I how is think- he,
1: how has he done that? I mean, you had a tour of the facility, you spent time with him, you interviewed him, um,
0: I mean, what? How? How did he do that? Is he just? Well, I mean, you know, we'll get to Mr. Musk in a moment, and but you know, I'm I'm often taking him to task, but let's understand that Mr. Musk has some qualities, and one of those is that is he's extremely driven, and that's exactly like like uh, Matej Rimac. They're both yeah. extremely driven people, um, um, and also very uh, bright. Um, uh, Mr. Rimac in, invented um, uh, various computerized um, um, devices before he got into cars. Like I said, he built an electric car all by himself. Eventually, th- again, that that 323 three eventually had six electric motors and, uh, you know, variations. And eventually, it was the fastest electric car in the world for a brief time, according to the FIM, um, you know, well before Teslas were quick and all like that. He was... He, he, he built he had his little 323 built in a small garage with him and a and a buddy was the fastest electric car in the world i think it held five records yes. uh you know all the way to a kilometer um anyways and 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 he just kept going and, and 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 i mean in talking with him he just said well what's next and there was nobody around to stop him uh, you know, and, and he grew it, and he, he said, oh, what's next? I, I'll build a hypercar. And, and nobody came along and shut the door and said, you can't do this. I, and eventually, um, you know, he built a, a, concept, a concept cars. He built a few production cars. They gained some notoriety for the amount of power they had. One was crashed by, uh, by Top Gear. Um, that got a lot of publicity as well. And basically, it's just he's kept asking himself, questions he's kept hiring engineers and, and especially engineers he's, i mean half his company there's 2200 employees 2300 right now more than half of them are engineers that's a ratio nobody else has not even you know not even uh, tesla at the beginning you know and so it's 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 just another you know rags to riches success story but this one hits home because you you can drive the car, as, uh, uh, as I said, I, I drove the Nevera. Tell us about that. Tell b- tell us about the
1: experience of driving this car.
0: That's It was amazing because, as I said in my story, I didn't think it was possible to make yourself sick driving a car. Uh, the idea is, or at least accelerating one in a straight line. The idea is, is you know, I've been in a, 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 a cars where that accelerate so hard that if I'm in the passenger seat, no matter if I'm looking at the person and I'm and, and watching them trying to prepare myself or gird myself against the acceleration, I, I still can't. You're not ready for it. But in every case that I've known, I thought, well, you know, if you're pushing the accelerator yourself, the foot's talking to the brain, the brain's talking to the stomach. It, it all goes together. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah if 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 it when you might not know it but if you're in a very fast car if you hit the uh, you hit the gas or you turn into a corner very fast your body braces for it automatically i mean that's right. what the body does so i thought there's no way that anything could you know fool mother nature that way and yet i got in the damn thing and i hit the gas from zero and i i was supposed to do zero to a hundred and i only got up to a sixty or 70 my stomach was doing a little pole vaults, pole (laughs) vaults in my, in my torso there, you know, it was, it it was going for an Olympic record actually. And um, so uh, I had to do it a second time. I mean, it does zero to 100. I think uh, officially it's 1.81, I believe, but or 1.8 around and I think they've actually clocked it a little bit faster, which makes it faster than a formula one car. And I've driven a formula one car. And I can tell you that at least from zero to a hundred kilometers an hour, I'm pretty sure this darn thing is quite a bit faster
1: quicker. I mean, how, how about in the corners though? That's the, that, that's the is, true, that's is. the true measure of a supercar or hypercar. It is, it is.
0: And in this case, I want to make sure that I don't in any way denigrate the car because it's, it's not that they couldn't, well, possibly uh, part of it's the weight, but their focus was not trying to make it say, as fast around a corner as a Lamborghini Performante or a McLaren Senna that, you know, has, you know, a thousand kilograms or I think 800 kilograms of downforce and right. stuff. They, they've just got two or 300 kilograms of downforce and they're only running Michelin Pilot Sport Cup 4s, okay? Uh, they're not the latest, the gummiest Michelins and they don't, you know, they don't hold a candle to a, um, to a, P, a Pirelli P0 Trofeo. So the car is meant as a supercar, a super electric car, a hypercar, if you will, that is also manageable. And so, from that point of view, like I think they've done the Nordschleife, the the Nurburgring, and they are the se- the fastest electric vehicle it's ever gone, which is no surprise at all. And I think they're right around seven minutes or so. I'd have to check exactly. And I think they're the seventh. Fastest car to go around a production car to go around the uh, the Nordschleife. Well, you say, well, why weren't they the fastest? Well, again, they wanted all the power, and they also wanted to make it fairly drivable. So once you take away the electronics on it, they got amazing um, torque vectoring. It actually is programmed to understeer a little bit, uh, which is you know safety related and everything else, and so. It also weighs over 2000 kilograms. And, 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 so the, and, and then you combine that with the, I won't say ordinary tires, but not the gummy gummiest tires. And it means that it's, you know, is there, it could an, uh, a LaFerrari with the same amount of horsepower, get around the track, uh, get around the uh, A-track or the Nurburgring faster than the nevera could? Well, if you get that V12 to put out uh, 1,888 uh, horsepower, yeah, it would. Absolutely, it would. Uh, I don't think it's the point, though. Um, I, I would tell you it's an extremely well-built car. you got to remember, they're in Croatia. They're building 150 of these things. That's it. They've, never, uh, they've built, uh, um, I think, 10 or 12 other cars. That's it. And the car is buttoned together amazingly well. You know, it's a little bit like the Lucid, if you remember our discussion on Lucid, you know, all the range things that it did were uh, were, were um, great and, 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 and the power was great, the aerodynamics were great. But I was most impressed by the fact that they put the car together so well. Yeah, the build quality, yeah. As you know, I've sometimes complained about the build quality on the Teslas like tes- Tesla's a long way from being the best built electric car. the nevera um was amazingly well built and a super package for a car company again that never built a car before uh, what is the what is the asking price of the nevera um one I think it's two million u s two million u s
1: yeah, okay, it's so actually
0: less than a part uh, if you remember my pagani kotalunga it's actually about half the price of a pagani
1: <laughs> oh to have such problems I, okay not so a problem. here's a question so you've got over a thousand engineers um what are they working towards i mean what are these what are they building what are they are they do they want to build a everyday person production car will we see a fifty thousand dollar remak or will they always kind of live in the the the, the the,
0: the the high clouds of hypercars. I can't answer that question. I, I that's cuz that's a long-term question and 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 they won't tell me that. I will tell you what their short-term and this they're they're quite clear about. Um first it's Bugatti cuz remember uh they basically I I don't know I think they he they Porsche kept 51% and he's got 49%. I I, I he's got almost half the company of of uh, ownership of Bugatti. So they're building uh, a new car and that's going to be, a believe it or not, instead of an electric, a plug-in hybrid. Hmm. Okay. And it's going to, because it's going to keep on with the, uh, with internal combustion because Mate, Ram, uh, Mate Rimac, the, a person who's championed electric vehicles for so long, think that it's part of the culture that will require some pistons in this thing, at least for the foreseeable future so he's building there he's engineering that it'll be built back in um in uh, germany um or france i can't remember <laughs> somebody will shoot me for that one too but anyways he's gonna he's he's engineering it um, completely and i mean and that should be coming fairly shortly the other thing as i mentioned is uh the campus they're already building some batteries for other people now or sort of at least they're engineering the batteries that will be subcontracted to others, and I, they seem to want to build a, a production line that can has a capacity of fifty to a hundred thousand batteries a year, and they have to, like I, as I said before, they have two manufacturers waiting for this to come on stream. I mean, the announcement could come any day as to who it is and what car it's going into, uh, and that's where their focus is now. Judging by the answers to questions um, that I I had uh, uh, with him um, before, and 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 I think I mentioned this earlier, where he comes up, he asks himself a question, and unless he can find an answer for himself as to why he shouldn't do it, um, there's seemingly nobody to stop him. So there's no reason why he might not build a fifty thousand dollar Rimac. It's not in his stated plans right now. But that that being said, he's he's only halfway um 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 through building this hundred thousand square meter campus he calls it, which is, I mean, it's basically the size of a gigafactory, and he's already talking about another facility. So who the hell knows? A bit of a different tact, I
1: know. Tesla in the very early days, I think even before Elon was involved really saw themselves almost like a battery company as opposed to a car company. And it seems Musk was the one that just took it in a car production direction. Um, and, and maybe, 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 maybe that's a cautionary tale for Maté to, to understand that he can, if his battery technology is so good, why not just be a supplier?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I asked him that exact question and, and it's in the story. Um, why would somebody come to Croatia, of all places, for a battery uh, when you could just go to China, talk to CATL, and get something quite cheap, uh, fairly advanced, and everything else? Why should somebody come to, to Mate Rimac rather than go straight into CATL that already have facilities and has good research or claims to have good research, at least? And that's where we got into the cooling thing. You know, and his claims on his batteries. And again, you know, I, I, I tell us numbers about like uh, before, and and, and when I, whenever I'm talking rapid fire numbers, I worry I'm leaving people behind. Everybody claims th- I have a 350. I can hook my car up to a 350 kilowatt charger. Yeah, that's true. Like a Hyundai Kona, a uh, Hyundai Ionic can. So can a Taycan, uh, Porsche Taycan. But none of them take 350 kilowatts out of the charge, not even at peak. And and and, and, and like I say, uh, I think they, you know, even though uh, you can hook it up to a 350 kilowatt charger, a Porsche Taycan from, I think, 10 to about 80 percent, I'm going to be a little off, averages 200 kilowatts. That's what the average take rate is from the charger. Uh, the the Ionic, I think, I'm almost sure is less. Uh, and there's a lot of other cars that are... 150 to 160 kilowatts, and again, I mean, like a, 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 a Toyota BZ4X, which has been denigrated by us and by pretty much everyone, takes less than 100 kilowatts uh, on average to its charging cycle. The great thing about Mate Remax batteries, he claims, at least the battery in his Navara, is that he can, between 0 and 80%, take an average of 300 kilowatts. Mm-hmm. I mean that's really far ahead of everybody else, right. and so I suspect that he has um, uh, had success in selling that technology to um, other clients, and that's the batteries being built. And one of the things he says he does is most, you know, batteries are are cooled in inside the structure. Uh, in the, inside the battery cabinet, and most uh, most companies uh, um, uh, cool, say, a cylindrical battery, which he uses around its circumference. He says he can cool the ends as well. Okay, and and he can even cool both the ends and the circumference. But as as I said, alluded to earlier, he says that's important. But what's more important is reducing the amount of heat generated, so you don't have to cool it as much. And that was his. Close to a hint as he gave to me as 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 to what was important.
1: Okay, let's move on from Mate to Elon, who we've already mentioned. Um, has uh, again found himself in hot water with the authorities this time about exaggerated range estimations in Tesla vehicles. So what's the story there? What's the story there? Well, I
0: mean that's just the tip of the iceberg. My God, I mean you're you're being kind to good old Elon. I mean uh, what he, uh, according to Reuters. And, and 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 of course, the Tesla claims that either Reuters is lying or everybody does it. Like that's the entire my entire comment section when I wrote the article. But anyways, according to them, um, Tesla's range estimators—the little gauge readout that's on the dashboard—was deliberately manipulated so that as uh, you drove it exaggerated how many kilometers were left in the battery and 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 in fact i use i i i noticed this like as you as you know i do range finder tests and basically when i do a range finder test uh, i drive uh, on the same highway on the same road at the same speed i go on hon ontario's uh, highway 407 hopefully there's no police listening and i drive um 125 kilometers an hour As far as it will take me towards Peterborough, and I turn around and I come back. And one of the things I've noticed on the Teslas is that initially they have huge um, um, range estimations, and that persists to about halfway through the state of charge, like when you're down to about 50%. And then the amount of uh, uh, kilometers claimed to be left. Seems to decrease quite rapidly, especially towards the end, where the uh, the range estimator is trying to get some uh, close to reality. In other words, people that charge up their their battery in their Tesla uh, and go use three quarters of the battery to go 300 miles, um, thinking they'll get uh, the last quarter will give them 100 miles, uh, they're in for a big surprise. Um, The and I've found this with every single Tesla that I've driven and Tesla's range estimator has been by far the most optimistic. I mean, it's way past optimistic. It's like sometimes it exaggerates by 25%. What is the mileage you're going to get out of it? Um, by far the worst I've tested. Uh, a Porsche Taycan, for instance, driven side by side, okay, will um, almost hit the number that, the range estimator claims. So in one test, I think it was the Tesla said it was going to do 497 and the Taycan was around 320. I drove them side by each. And when I was all said and done, um, there was only 10 or 15 kilometers difference between their total range available when one had been like 130, or 140 uh, uh, claimed higher than the other. Now the scandal is, according to Reuters, is that Mr. Musk himself told the engineers to do this act to deliberately, you know, exaggerate to basically lie about the um, about the range left in the battery um, and you know, I would have thought that's big news. It doesn't seem to buy over anybody that buys Tesla's. Well, what about regulators?
1: I mean, surely that's something that, that, I mean, will, is, <laughs> is it, is it going to get away with this? And, and oh, why? Yeah. oh yeah, so so, why?
0: why? I mean, something's changed. I mean, something's changed. Uh, we've talked a little bit about this. Um, I don't know if it's just Elon is getting away with it or if the regulators have, have are getting away with it. I, I mean, you know, you can't use um, Volkswagen's Dieselgate as a metaphor because, or as an example, because it was really horrible. I mean, you, you, one hopes that the EPA would jump over anybody who did anything so egregious again. But I remember, and I'm—I'm I'm pretty sure you can—more um, than a decade ago, Hyundai got caught exaggerating its EPA-rated fuel economy yep. by one mile per gallon. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that? I do. Th- it it was horrible what was done. It was I mean they they had to apologize. Uh, I mean if they'd been Japanese, they would have had a fall on their sword. I mean it was it 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 it, it, it was a big deal. They're raked over the coals. The EPA took a strong stance. Nothing on this. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. So is is this e- Elon Musk? um it is uh, uh get special treatment or is this the epa has been defanged and somebody doesn't care anymore I, I don't know i do know that as uh, in terms of the populace because uh, you know in the politicization of everything these days the most common comment from the tesla supporters in defense was everybody's lying about um about range estimation why shouldn't we do it too and, and the only the counter i would have to is that in fact not everybody lies some of them are spot on um uh chevrolet bolt ev actually underestimates its mileage uh, it'll actually get better range than its range meter will tell you the porsche Ticans is spot on most of mercedes's are spot on so no not everybody's lying but that's what everybody thinks. And so that's the justification for, you know, no major uproar from the consumer. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, if these people
1: own these vehicles and have spent tens of thousands of dollars to buy them and, and this doesn't upset them, I guess
0: he will get away with it. I, 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 one assumes because, uh, you know, I mean, sadly, and I've been dealing with this and, and this came especially true out of the Volkswagen scandal until Owners and other people create such a noise about something, the EPA doesn't do very much. It, it, it's really quite disappointing, um, to be honest with you. If there's not a hue and a cry and a and a constant media barrage, which again because uh, has already died down on the range estimation thing, uh, the EPA just sits on its hands, does nothing. It's really. I, I I don't know what else to say, um, and that's true of a lot of your emissions regulation. That's exactly what happened in Europe with um, with uh, with Volkswagen's diesels. The regulators over there all knew that too much nitrogen oxide was being produced by diesels. It wasn't a mystery to anyone. It's just there wasn't a big consumer outcry.
1: Yeah. Well, as long as you're doing your motor mouth, David, I know that you'll uh, you'll hold those feet to the fire <laughs> okay I think we're gonna leave it there and that's uh, that's all the time we have thanks David as usual and it's it's great to be back talking to you and I know our listeners feel the same way and are looking forward to uh, another big run through to 2024 podcasts
0: I'm kind of hoping to do it uh, for as well I mean I, I really enjoy these you Now, uh, you know work again I mean this is not something people need to know but I'm useless Uh, at podcasts by myself it's only because of the great work that you do uh, uh, that i can be even remotely understandable uh, on these things so i thank you very much
1: all right well getting a thank you from david booth is a big deal so we're going to be out of here um thank you for joining david and myself on the motormouth podcast we hope you enjoyed the discussion as always be sure to look for david's weekly motormouth column on driving.ca every friday In addition to his senior writing duties for Postmedia Driving, which includes the National Post and Driving.ca, David hosts a panel series called Driving Into the Future, which brings automotive and technology leaders to the table to discuss emerging topics in the mobility sector. If you're more of a podcast person, like myself, um, great news is we've recently converted Driving Into the Future panels into podcasts, and you can find those on the Motormouth Podcast channel on all the major podcast streaming services. For your dose of all things automotive, be sure to check out driving.ca where you'll find the best in breaking news, videos, and reviews. And be sure to subscribe to the MotorMouth podcast and Postmedia's other auto-related podcasts, plugged in pertaining to all things electric vehicles and hosted by yours truly, and the Driving Podcast, hosted by Lorraine Sommerfeld. You can find these wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks again for joining us, and until the next time.